Welcome to the Green Lectionary Podcast, a production of Creation Justice Ministries. The Green Lectionary is a conversation on scripture through the lens of creation justice. My name is Derek Weston, and today we'll be looking at a text for the third week of Advent from the Revised Common Lectionary. For this episode, I am joined by four guests, Reverend Dr. Leah Shade, Professor of Preaching and Worship at Lexington Theological Seminary, Katie Steinberg, Pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Daytona Beach, Joshua Long, Congregational Organizer for Interfaith Power and Light, DMB, and Avery Davis-Lamb, Co-Executive Director of Creation Justice Ministries. Before we jump into our show, I just want to give a quick plug for one of Creation Justice Ministries' other programs, Blue Theology. Blue Theology is a place where current science and marine biology meets a theology of creation justice. Each summer, we host youth groups to engage in experiential learning, service projects, and contemplative practice with God's marine creation. We have several locations across the country, and registration is open now. To learn more, go to bluetheology.com. I'm going to read Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 4, and 8 through 11, which is our text for today. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. So, friends, um, and Avery, maybe since you've been you've been gone the longest, um, let's start with you. Where is creation in this passage? Yeah, I mean, uh, this passage makes the answer to this question pretty easy because creation is really throughout. Um, I mean, obviously, the most striking ones, the Oaks of Righteousness is a, a beautiful image, and then the, the image of the garden at the end. Um, but I think particularly what's interesting to me is that creation, justice, and joy are all really interrelated in here. Um, that there's there's really little distinction between creation and humanity and justice for creation and justice for humanity. Um, and then uh, because it is sort of this, this hopeful vision of restoration, you know, this is in third Isaiah, it's after the temple is being rebuilt. Um, there's this kind of celebration in creation. I, you know, I love this in verse three, a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, oaks of righteousness, these beautiful, joyful depictions of creation and humanity participating in creation. And then of course, at the end, the earth bringing forth its shoots, 
a garden, that this image of abundance of something that is good growing out of the soil. So that's where I see it. Anyone want to add? Any places where you see creation here? Yeah, I appreciate what Avery said and uh, and picked up some of the same things. And one of the big ones for me being this restoration theme, because, uh, you know, if, if you're following the science, if you're following kind of the prevalent uh, imagery and verbiage of the media, it can become really disheartening. And um, it can it can begin to seem like there's no hope, there's no way back, there's no um you know, way for us to kind of turn the ship around when it comes to the state of creation at this time and the way that it's being treated by humanity. And so as I hear this and hear about this restoration, I mean, it it makes me think that these peoples felt much the same and that um, that God can be an actor in that too. And, uh, you know, we don't have to have the full vision of how restoration happens, that it's God's work and that we can, you know, suit up and show up and do the things that we're called to do. And I, I think it's, that's an important piece for me, because as a, you know, white Western American born into capitalism, born into, um, you know, in, empire kind of culture, um, independence becomes this really strong theme, like I'm supposed to have all the answers, and I'm supposed to be able to fix everything. And, uh, and if I can't, then I'm weak or lazy or worthless in some way. And, um, you know, this passage as well as probably the bulk of scripture just reminds me of my place in this, that my job isn't to have all the answers, that I am not effectively the one who is going to enact restoration, but I can show up and do my job and use my gifts. And um, and I just hear that over and over again in this as what's what's possible and what's sort of mine to do as an actor in restoration. Anyone else want to jump in on where creation is in this passage? Yeah, I, I, first of all, thank you both. That was beautiful. Um, the thing that really jumped out for me was the, the year of the Lord's favor. Mm. Um, you know, the concept drawn from Leviticus, uh, the Jubilee year. And this is you know, the Sabbath of Sabbaths when all, all things are to be restored, including creation that um that the fields the land is supposed to be free from having to produce and anything that it does create of of its on its own is to be shared it's not you're not supposed to make profit from it it's just you know just really resting and trusting that abundance will come from that and then sharing that abundance so um so that's where i i saw creation maybe not as directly, but if, if you understand what the Jubilee year means for humanity and for creation, um, I think that's an important thread. Yeah, I, I want to piggyback on that um, because also the first thing, I have the year Lord's favor on my list of things that just stood out. Um, I've used that text in Leviticus to preach um, before. I, I did I believe I did actually around in connection of indigenous um, rights and indigenous, indigenous ways to environmental justice mm. and sort of this return to seeing that there is no separation um, really between um, human beings and the rest of creation. This like idea that we are all part of creation, 
that we're all linked, we're all interdependent together. And I, I think the Jubilee year really makes that clear that the rest is not just, the Sabbath is not just for human beings, but it includes all creation and all having this, not just rest, but this shared feast um, that can happen um, where, where, as you mentioned, Leah, this abundance that is shared with all. I also uh, thought of the first, the ecological devastation um, has consequences scanning generations. I thought about verse four because of also this restoration of ancient ruins and these ruined cities and the the it's the devastation of many generations and sort of both the not just thinking about how climate change has effects in the future but the ways in which um, we are experiencing today the effects of past generations um, where where at the start of the industrial revolution you know, the the way the planet began to warm up and we're seeing those effects today. And and there and that will continue, um, you know, unless we I, I see it as you know joining God in this restoration that's happening in, in this passage here. Um so and the last thing I'll point out is this spring up of righteousness for all nations that like again this interdependence, but it's interdependence between all humankind that it's not just um one segment it's not just one people but it's it's all humankind josh yeah. i really appreciate the way that you highlighted um and and leah too sort of that sabbath of sabbath that rest and the interconnection and even that year of jubilee idea um I don't know that too many people would connect COVID with Jubilee naturally, but what I did notice is when we were in that period and there was so much less, especially early on when everything was kind of shutting down, um, there were real dramatic effects on our environment in the in a positive way. I mean, I remember hearing about um, the canals in Venice being clear and having dolphins in them and things like this, because just even for a short period of time, the land was allowed to rest, you know, and I, I just strikes me in hearing you say that and then that interconnection piece too that um you know i think it's especially americans there's a tendency to kind of think we're set apart in some way and and special and individual and you know make it great and be the best and all these kinds of ideas but that if we're ranking ourselves like that we're we're denying that interdependency um and humility right to recognize that we're not only a part of the problem but we're a part of the solution if we'll but let ourselves be. So we've been we've been throwing in sort of this bonus question for Advent, um, which is uh, we're using this theme that creation bears witness. Um, what ways do you see creation bearing witness to um, either the incarnation or the the coming of new life into the world? Um, or in any way that you want to take that, really. Um, how is creation bearing witness in this text? I, I can hop in here first on this one. Um, you know, I think one important piece of this text that I want to highlight is the connection of what's translated as justice and righteousness, which, you know, throw back to, to uh, Old Testament and seminary Hebrew Bible, for those of you who've studied it, it's the, the Hebrew words of um, Mishpat and Zedekah. Right. And we find these a lot throughout the Torah. 
throughout the Hebrew Bible, often translated as justice and righteousness. And I, I want to dig into this a little bit later in the next question, but I do see creation bearing witness and participating in justice and righteousness throughout all of this, right? Um, jubilee is both jubilee for the land and jubilee for the people, right? The economics of the land and the people are interconnected there. Um, the vision of what it looks like to be righteous for the people of Israel to be a righteous people is a vision of a tree, right? And so creation is both an example and a participant throughout this as a witness to how God's people can be both just and righteous. Well, I, I really appreciate um, giving the Hebrew scripture class throwback <laughs> um, and considering, you know, what righteousness means, um, especially in the American context. Uh, a lot of people have taken righteous to just this purity test that they have, you know, in my right relationship with God, am I doing the right things? But when we look at the scripture, it's always about justice. It's always collective. It's about restoration. You know, it, it's, um, it's about this reversal of, of making what was wrong, right. And I think for me, this question of like creation bearing witness, it's, it's the last um, that last verse really stands out with this um, verse 11, for as the earth brings forth its shoots, as a garden causes what is sown into it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all nations. And I think this, I think about this idea of planting something, of, of sowing seeds and cultivating and watering them. But then I think, then understand, I think what Katie said, that's a, uh, Ultimately, God is the is is the is the maker orchestrator of this restoration, and we are a part of it. And so, we plant the seeds. We do what we're called to do, and then we also, through that action, are having faith that um, God is going to to take care of this. And when I do a lot of like, you no. Know, talking to people about environmental justice or climate work or what can be done you know a lot of people because of the news feel very hopeless these days you know this and the, the news just harps on the doom and gloom and doesn't necessarily stick to all the really good things that are actually happening within uh creation justice and environmental movements these days the things that are moving along um and that's not discounting the challenges but that's just to say that like there are plenty of seeds being planted and people watering these seeds. And I think the invitation is that um, anybody can really do something, like everybody can join in when this um, restoration of creation that we're trying to see happen. Can I just talk a little bit about vengeance? <laughs> the day of vengeance. Yes, um, because, and I hear everything that you, you all are saying, and I think we also have to note, and I, and I want to pick up on um, what uh, Katie was saying earlier about um, with, with COVID. I mean, that was the first time that we've had a, a shutdown or Earth has, has, has had a shutdown, a break from the relentless activity and, and growth of human industry. And when we don't take regular like honor that sabbath on a regular basis there are consequences so when i see this word um you know vengeance in, in hebrew it's um the word is nakam 
and it's it's God taking vengeance on God's enemies. And I know um, when I talk about this with my students, they don't, you know, it makes that God seem mean, but it's really about if there if we want there to be justice and righteousness, then there have to be consequences for when there is no justice and righteousness. And so when we see the ways in which, in which earth, I would say, um, and I don't want to anthropomorphize earth, but that, that there are ways in which earth has to has reestablish its equilibrium as a body. And, um, and, and do things to try to restore itself, which often seems like this is hard on humanity, but when we're not going to work with creation and its natural processes, then creation following the laws that God established for it are going to do things like create these viruses that are really harmful that we should have left in the animals in their protected places instead of you know buying and selling them on wet markets and you know cutting down trees and all of these things so um so i just want us to recognize that i i think there's some agency for creation in that the the, the day of vengeance and, and i don't want to emphasize that too much but i think we also have to take that into effect seeing creation's agency Thank you for highlighting that, Leah. And I, I was having a similar take on that same prism, though shifting it just a little bit and thinking about the interconnection interconnection of suffering and love. Um, and the in my life experience, there's this sort of like having to hit a certain level of discomfort before change is possible. And that that's can I just say that sucks like I'm sorry like I hate that it has to get to a point of sort of being at that level of discomfort or you know 12-step programs will say rock bottom these kind of things before a change can be made um, and and I hope part of the invitation of scripture is hey there's another way besides letting it get as horrible as it could possibly be but I also recognize if I look at you know and foreshadowing a little bit here um, Isaiah loves to foreshadow uh, Christ and the Messiah in so many ways and um, thinking about that interconnection of suffering and love and um, that there's just some necessity for it so your advent question I think about looking towards the manger but I also think about the way that that looks towards the cross um, and I, I wish it were different, but there's a way in which it has to hurt before we learn to love or you love and you hurt and then you love again or whatever, you know, whatever that sort of cycle is. Um, and so I just, I hear that reflected and sort of resounding as we think about, you know, the incarnational aspects of of creation and restoration. That's really good. So how is God calling us to interact with creation here in this in this passage? I I, I kind of want to follow on this up with the vengeance thing actually on this answer. Um it's it's and there are many layers like to think about think about this when we talk about God's vengeance and God's wrath. Um one understanding sort of the ancient Israelite understanding of of god's sovereignty 
and you know having a a perspective of you know God's care, God's um, fortune, God's love for God's people, but also uh, that um, that things that happen, things that are horrible, that we don't fully understand it, but um, you know, if God is sovereign, they're under God's watch, you know, um, and maybe like the perspective is that like there has to be some type of um, recompense for the actions and the harms that have been done. And the word vengeance seems very strong, but then kind of looking at it, are there consequences or even are there ways that we can move toward repair? You know, one of the things that I'm thinking about, we have the, the, the COP28, the United Nations Climate Conference coming up at the end of the month, early December in Dubai this year. And one of the big conversations is this loss and damage um, fund. And which is, is in short, this idea that the, the big polluters uh, need to pay into a fund that is going to help repair and restore um, nations that are, have already experienced this loss and damage from climate change. And of course, the United States being one of those big polluters is supposed to be paying into that and a lot of other big nations, and we're not seeing that happen. It's, so there needs to be some kind of accountability for that. But I think that um, this text asks us to consider the ways that we repair these wrongs, you know, the ways that... Um, we consider the harms that um, we've enacted on creation, you know, including people, and how we're going to restore that. How are we going to make those things right? Uh, and capitalism, unfortunately, like, like has a way of like trying to make things right by just like benefiting everybody and just. Well, not even everybody trying to benefit a few people, <laughs> um, you know, and uh, and I can get, in, I don't want to get too in the weeds of policy stuff, you know, because um, there's some good things happening that in there. But um, I think just kind of considering like how is our actions of taking of tackling the climate climate crisis and and and, and uh, how we've harmed creation, how is that restorative? How is that actually repairing? Um, harms and making things right. I think one of the things that this um, that this text calls us to do is to ask questions about how we are interacting with creation, because we've been dealing with some assumptions for a long time, and those assumptions have turned out to be really faulty. That you know we're we're above creation that we can do whatever we want and that um you know future generations will just have to deal with our mess and actually now we're dealing with our own messes and so one of the things that i'm i'm wondering is and you had mentioned joshua policy well i actually would like to see creation um care of creation built into our policies um you know what would it look like to um, have our, our, our 
resources, yes, go into these restoration funds, but also, you know, leaving the forests and the natural lands alone to live as God designed, um, you know, setting up trusts, setting up places where um, nature can restore itself. Um, can we can we think about ways to enact jubilee for creation and for human beings in a systemic way in a, in a in a rhythm so that it's not forced on us like it has been um th but that we we are truly following these sacred commands that are not about you're not allowed to do this but when you do this so much abundance opens up and and everyone has rest including the land so i'd love to see um, a, a rethinking of what Sabbath means in terms of our, our policy with creation and with our communities. Wow, Leah, thank you. The way that you framed that was so helpful for me as a Floridian. Um, you know, we experience a lot of hurricanes and things like that. Right now, we've had several days of rain that's um, sort of traumatizing some folks, triggering some PTSD with all the flooding we had last year with hurricanes. And, um, you know, that language that you used of like forced us to, and it just, man, that just really hit me this time. Cause, okay. So weirdly like confession, um, sometimes when a hurricane's coming, there's this part of me that's like, Oh, good. There'll be no expectations for a couple days. Snow day. I know, <laughs> like, right? We all get a break. We all have to stay home. Everything is disrupted. It's like a holy disruption. It's a. It is a disruption, and at the same time, like I, obviously, pro, I mean, probably goes without saying. Like, there's concern that comes along, and compassion that comes along with it, because you know you don't want anybody to to lose their home or life or you know belongings or whatever the case may be. But, um, but yeah, that forced upon us stillness. And I, I love your question of what would it be like if we built that into our lives as just, I mean, in just thinking of humanity in this case, but then what if we built that into our policies? What if we built that into our thoughts about how the land works? And you guys, right? Not new ideas. We're talking about the Old Testament here. This is thousands of years old ideas. And we're like, oh, what if, oh, I've got it. What if we like took a day off once in a while, you know? Um, but it, it it's just, it's, it is, uh, we have deep grooves in our brain of the ways we've been trained up and taught, you know, to to live and function by grind culture and white supremacy and capitalism and empire and um you know what what if we were brave enough dare i say faithful enough to attempt to do it differently and i think step one might be and i'm, I'm sort of venturing from your question here derek but um man it just fires me up a little bit to think if i'm going to preach that if i'm going to start to say that to others i've got to start in in the garden of my soul if you will like that is my first um responsibility in creation is am i am i taking the time am i tending that am i taking sabbath and tending that garden that creation because i don't know that i can successfully attend any other creation or have anything really compelling to say to anybody else about tending for creation if i'm not starting it there and living as an example otherwise i've just got some cool new things to say and i get to be the hip pastor and i'm not real interested in that i would much rather there be something meaningful and compelling sort of the ripple effects come out um from from like living this and tending that 
this primary creation of my personhood and the creation of my family and then the creation of my sort of lifestyle and the communities that I have access to and the lands that I have access to because I just don't think I really have much to say if I'm not. And what would it look like to build that in first instead of waiting for a hurricane or a pandemic or some kind of crisis health-wise or whatever to force it on me? So can I ask, um, I, I, I'll just push back on that a little bit because, I, and I have those same commitments. And one of the things that I tried to do to live more in alignment with what I understand to be God's command to care for creation. And I did the the seven day vegan challenge um, a couple years ago and um, blogged about it and took a picture of the things that I was going to eat that coming week. And um, one person pointed out to me, um, hey, that's great, but look at all the plastic on your table. You know, like even when we're trying to really do the right thing, the system has been built around us in a way, in such a way that there are choices that are forced upon us that aren't really choices at all. So, and I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, Katie. What I'm saying is that I think it has to be a both and. Like there have to be policies that enable us to make better decisions so that when we have this commitment, we're not bumping up against the ways in which our built environments and our economy have said, well, you know, you, you can't, you can't go solar because there's not, a, you know, it's just too expensive and you can't have a hybrid car because it's too expensive and you can't upgrade your house because it's too expensive. Like, like we have to rethink those policies so that people can make the right choices. Yeah, let me get in here and 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 build off that too, Leah. And I want to go back to Mishpat and Zedeka, like I, I foreshadowed earlier, because I actually think that that pairing gets at what you're saying a lot, Leah. And I was I was reading a little bit of Jonathan Sachs writing on on these words. Again, these are the words that are often translated as justice and righteousness. And what he was saying, which is Mishpat, often translated as as justice, is really sort of the retributive justice. Um, it's the like laws and the legal framework. We see it in, in this passage in verse eight, for example, I, the Lord love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. And then Zedeka, which is righteousness is, uh, you know, Rabbi Sex. So this is, this is sort of distributive justice. This is like economic justice. So it's a pairing of legal justice and economic justice, you know, both of which sort of have a personal aspect, but are actually deeply systemic right? There's no ethical consumption under capitalism. Like that is distributive justice, right? That we can do our best to make personal decisions and to navigate in the system where we are. But at the end, like we're going to have to have major economic changes to actually consider what's going on. Um, and I, I, I think that in a place to uh, see where God's calling us to interact with creation in terms of this framework this uh, retributive and distributive justice framework is actually through the like lens of the oaks of righteousness and the, the righteousness, the word righteousness there is um, Zedeka. It is distributive justice. So it's like the oaks of distributive justice <laughs> essentially. Um, and there's a lot of sort of um, throughout Isaiah, a lot of metaphors of trees and God's planting and, um, 
and I think what creation, how God is calling us to interact with creation here is actually to be like the trees, to be oaks of righteousness, right? The writing here um, says, uh, where are we? They will be called oaks of righteousness. Um, and I think it's an invitation to embrace the distributive justice that we see in righteousness. Um, and also, I want to play with this a little bit, because I think when we look at trees, we also see an image of distributive justice. So um, a few years ago, a scientist by the name of Suzanne Samard coined the term the wood wide web, which is uh, a, a description of how trees have these vast underground networks of fungus called the mycorrhizal networks where they can communicate with each other, they can get nutrients from the soil. And the other thing that they can do is they can send nutrients to each other. And some of the earliest documented examples of mycorrhizal networks are from oak trees, that oak trees were studied and were found to have these networks where they're sharing among other oak trees, but also there are some instances of sharing between species, of supporting each other. Right, so these mycorrhizal networks are literally distributive justice that is happening in creation, you know, and, and it's jubilee too, right? Creation is set up, um, it, it operates through an economy of jubilee. And so when God is calling the people of Israel, and I would also say calling us to be oaks of righteousness, yes, it's to be firm, it's to be grounded in who we are, but it's also to recognize that like we need to participate in systems of distribution. We need to create those in our own places where we can. And also, as, as you all were saying, with the systemic change, work towards having the systemic change so that our broader economies are distributive. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Um, and I think this, this seg is a good segue into our last question, which is where then is there a call to action for the church based off of what we've been discussing so far today, where, Where's their call to action for communities of faith? So I, I feel like Avery, your 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 point about this distributive justice, economic justice that is laid out in this righteousness. I literally put in my notes um as I was as I was preparing for this, on the previous question, interacting with creation, I have this like build up and this like distribute distribute. Distribute distribution through let's see, electrification, um, uh, the work that um, some of the work that Interfaith Power and Light is doing, um, we're really looking at how the Inflation Reduction Act and the bipartisan infrastructure bill, how those funds can be equitably distributed to people, and the, some of the work we're doing in D.C. around trying to promote healthy homes, um, Healthy Homes Act, and electrifying everything and making sure that it is it is not just this uh you know tax break for those who are wealthier or well off but that it is accessible that like if somebody that people were saying hey we're doing this um upgrades to electrification here is your new heat pump and that's that and it's not that this like it doesn't become this you know hey um, I can't afford to do that. I can't afford to buy an electric car. I can't afford to do. Uh, and so we have to continue to like, uh, some of those policies are happening. We have to continue to like really pound the, pound the table. Like this is where we need to go. Um, 
and that really brings this next question of the call of action for the church. Um, and I, this is one of my favorite passages uh, in, in scripture, um, and particularly Jesus's um, reading of this passage in Luke 4, in his own hometown, where because he does this, they, they try to kill him. <laughs> his own folks, like he comes back home and they literally try to throw him off a cliff because when he read this passage, uh, because it is so revolutionary, it is so, uh, it, it breaks all the systems and ushers in this new change that needs to happen. And so I, I think that is the call is for the church to really understand this as gospel, this as the gospel mission. Um, I, I think back to when I was in seminary, um, did my, my preaching class with a uh, Dr. Veronique Miles, and uh, she laid out, you know, the Jesus's way of framing the gospel, you know, and the different ways that the gospel is portrayed by Paul and by John, with you know, this. but this chapter right here, like Jesus lays out this mission of justice and righteousness and good news for the oppressed. And I think that is where the church needs to think about creation justice of how is this good news for the oppressed, for the marginalized, and the oppressed and marginalized being both creation and people uh, uh, simultaneously. And that's where our call should be. That That's incredible. Um, Joshua, thank you so much for that. I, um, I like to think just about some practical things that congregations can do. So maybe some low hanging fruit and maybe some mid hanging fruit to be able to think about um, how to respond to this call. So one idea is for a congregation to think about what they're doing with their land. Um, if we're going to um, model what it looks like to live in, um, in alignment with what God had intended, can we maybe give 10% of our land back to the commons, so, so to speak? So um, um, maybe have it be a, a pollinator garden or a water garden or, or something along those lines, if, if the church has land along those lines. So, you know, and that's, that's not a hard sell. It's, you know, a congregation could certainly take a year to do something like that and really model that for, for their community. Um, and another thing I, I read about, there's a new movement to plant fruit trees in public places so that everyone who's you know, whether you've got a home or not, whether you are passing through or you live in the community, it's just there for you and everybody gets some. Um, so I would love to see congregations get on board with a local effort to plant, plant fruit trees. Wouldn't that be beautiful? You know, the, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations and so is the fruit. <laughs> So those are two things that I thought that maybe congregations could think about, you know, as we're, you know, coming to the end of the year, we've got, what do we want to do in the new year? Maybe those are two things that they, uh, 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 maybe a green team or an eco ministry could consider for the coming year. I love that, Leah. Thank you. I'm also thinking about um, how much 
fear I see in congregations and in pastors these days, like, you know, with the numbers of out church decline and these kind of things. And it's like, well, we don't want to alienate anybody. Well, we don't want to, you know, and we end up sort of watering the gospel down so that it doesn't really say much, but it's palatable to everybody. And, you know, um, I don't do too much watering down. <laughs> it's gotten me in trouble a few times, but um but I think that there's space here, you know, or that fear of like becoming political. Oh, don't be political, you know, don't get on a side of anything. Take take no stand on anything. Um, and, uh, you know, but I, I think this this justice and righteousness piece could be played out and not unlike Leah was saying, but how we're advocating and using the voices that we have um, at, you know, county council meetings, at on petitions, at, you know, in ways that can start to address the systemic changes that would be necessary to work towards a kingdom as it's described in scripture. Um, and, and for me, that's, that's an easy jump to say like, hey, look, this is, this is what scripture says, you know, that it's supposed to be like, man. And it's lovely. What a lovely idea that there's jubilee, that there's rest, that there's growth, that there's care for creation, that there's equality, that there's justice. Like these are all lovely ideas. And we can all sit around and nod at them as some pastor speaks to us, right? And go, yeah, that sounds great. But I think we need to use our people power and our voices um, and not, and, you know, not be so afraid of like, what if we alienate one person or multiple people, whatever, if, if we're doing the work of the gospel, um, even if there's some breaking down, there shall be rebuilding, right? I, I mean, another thing I hear in this in this passage. So for me, that's what I hope congregations will grow some bravery around and faith around and hope around is how can we use our voices to enact those systemic changes that are in line with our faith and our belief? If we're going to say it, we better live it. It's mm, good. I, I, I love the kind of the holidays and holiday seasons where the like the boundary between human and non-human is um porous so like palm sunday i think is really fun e you know even though there's you know it's not always the most ecologically uh, attuned one you know anywhere where there's creation is brought inside of the church building and i think there's an opportunity in the christmas in advent and christmas season for churches who have christmas trees to use this as a time to strengthen our connection to trees right to see that tree not just as a decoration in the sanctuary but as a fellow piece of creation with whom we can deepen our connection right as an example it's probably not an oak i'd be surprised if you had an oak for their christmas tree that might be a little logistically complicated um but uh, it's a tree of righteousness right um and so you know doing some education, doing some spirituality there as well of, of kind of understanding our deep connection, right? Our own sort of spiritual mycorrhizal network with each other um, and with creation through this tree, right? For us to be, be the trees of righteousness. Um, I wanna highlight kind of a, maybe a policy piece of this as well, which I, I recently learned that the Capitol Christmas tree in Washington, D.C. this year is coming from the Monongahela National Forest in West Virginia. Every year, they cut down a tree from the National Forest and they, you know, drive it to D.C. and there's a fence along the way. It's, there's this, this whole big thing. But it's really interesting this year because not far from where that tree was cut down in the National Forest, there is an, an, a mature and old growth stand of trees that is at risk of being cut down for timber. Um, 
on Earth Day this last year, President Biden signed uh, an executive order to stop the sale of old growth, growth and mature trees, but the Forest Service has not yet implemented um, that ruling yet. And so there are lots and lots of old growth trees that are still at risk of being cut down. These are you know, 100 or 150 year old trees that could be cut down for timber or for paper or for what, whatever it is. So, and, and these are all over the US. So maybe another action here, another call to the action for the church is to go online. You can find this at, at uh, the Climate Forests campaign, climateforests.org. You can see where those sales are near you. And maybe this is an Advent action to go out and, and to hold vigil for these trees, right? To deepen our relationship, to recognize the connection between that tree and our sanctuary and its kin who are in the forests and are, are at risk of, of being, um, you know, destroyed. And then to take whatever appropriate action makes sense for your church. Maybe it is just education right now. Maybe it's worship and connection. Maybe there's some sort of advocacy connection there too. I there, can I follow up on that? Um, so I'm that I love that you brought something really real tangible for people to do. Um, you know that, and that there are many actions that week that the church can take that can be real and tangible and have an impact. Um, and I'm also thinking about like you mentioned the human and non-human that this time of year that the Advent season really brings together of this this incarnation. You know of 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 um god coming down uh to earth and, and and this kind of togetherness of all things and it made me think of like how even like the christmas tree is bringing creation into the building but even think about how the things that we make as human beings are actually part of creation because they're made from things from creation and i'm really called to think about um the ways that you know where we get our minerals from, where we get, um, we call them natural resources, but they're just things, parts of creation that we decide that that we try to use um, for human benefit. And there are good things that come from it, but at the same time, there is a, there's a huge uh, justice question, you know, about how these things are made, who's benefiting from them. You know, one of the things that I'm, I'm really, coming to terms with is the way that our minerals for all electric devices, including electric cars, are mined in the Congo and how these wars are started and how these, um, you know, we have ongoing genocide, ongoing slavery that's happening um, in the Congo because other nations are benefiting, you know, including our own from, you know, the labor and the conflict that's happening there. And it's almost like we're taught to be, to have these things being made invisible, to to not see these things and to just say, well, that's just what happens in Africa. You know, that is, that is kind of like the, the message. And that is such a horrible dehumanizing, um, you know, ethic that our culture has, has, has fed into. And so the Advent season may be a time to just think about how do we, how do we see ourselves within all these spaces, in all these places of injustice um, that maybe creation is calling us to repair, to to restore, and to consider these new ways of distributing that are more equitable? And then how does the church be a part of that? You know, that's that's really where I'm but what I'm thinking about, you know, in all this, you know, of, of considering the, the church's role 
in making these different things right. And as we mentioned, just like, I'm going to try being vegan for a week, but I got a ton of plastic for, <laughs> you know, in here. And then, you know, I'm going to try and do do this thing, but then it turns out I'm supporting this, you know, and as you said, it's it really is these big policy things. And the, I think the church has a huge role to, to, to make a difference as a voice in this. Yeah. I think that's a great place for us to end and um, a great place for us to reflect on all the different ways that, um, you know, uh, the tree is such an obvious one, but uh, uh, thank you, Joshua, for reminding us that there are, there are so many other ways that creation in more veiled forms ends up in our, in our homes, in our, in our um, day-to-day lives. Um, and we often don't see the connection or the cost. Um, so um, Joshua, Katie, Leah, Avery, thank you so much for this really rich conversation. I hope that people who are listening um, have some uh, food for thought that they can add to their sermons as they uh, prepare to celebrate this Advent season. Thank you for joining us for the Green Lectionary Podcast. This episode was produced by Sprocket Wagner and the music was provided by Christian McIver. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and help us spread the word with a good review. And leave us a comment to let us know how you've used the show and how we can make it more useful for your ministry. You can learn more about this and other programs of Creation Justice Ministries at creationjustice.org. Our story comes alive within these pages For every time and place throughout the ages God speaks and is heard in the enduring word Calls us to care for our world as we share the love that can set creation free Restoring the earth to wholeness, peace, and harmony Let the songs of the water, land, and sky resound Cause together we're all bound Within these pages, there's always new life to be found